0: Marcast is made possible by Hayes Marketing and Digital, the recruiting experts in marketing and digital roles across Australia for a wide range of industries and job functions.
1: And so it's all about, I guess, the bootstrap bit is what can you beg, borrow, steal to get done.
0: Welcome to Marcast, the marketing magazine podcast series. Each episode, host Dave Jackson will bring you in-depth, one-on-one conversations with some of Australia's sharpest marketing minds. Today, episode one. It's the first installment of Dave's chat with Isaac Smith, Executive Manager of Marketing and Online Real Estate Giant, REA Group.
2: REA is perhaps best known for its realestate.com platform, but as you'll hear today, that's just the tip of the iceberg. They have products for consumer, commercial, developer and media audiences. They operate globally, and they operate expansively across the real estate value chain. They're a hugely successful business, highly innovative, and very marketing-oriented. I couldn't think of a better place to start our deep dive into Australian marketing than here with Isaac Smith from REA. Zach, g'day. day. G'day, Dave. Thank you very much for having me. So there are 23 Isaac Smiths on LinkedIn in Australia. There is the Hawthorne footballer, there's the mayor of Lismore, there's one working at McDonald's and one working at Rockpool. So, Zach, if you could switch, which one of those roles would you prefer? Oh, gee, it's something between Lismore and Rockpool, for sure. (laughs) (laughs) So seriously, Zach, can you tell us a little bit about your current role and your responsibilities at REA?
1: Certainly. So, I'm responsible for the marketing for two of our customer lines of business, we call them, or um, uh, business units, if you like. One of them, which I've been associated with for the longest, is the commercial property uh, area and customer base, and um, the website realcommercial.com.au. Um, part of that commercial business. In the last year, we've we've started another new website um, called spacely.com.au, and that relates to short-term and share space in the commercial sector. Uh, and then, in more recently, in the last year, I've also started to look after um, what we call the developer customer base, and that's really apartment builders, house and land, land developers, etc.
2: Yeah, right. So quite a broad portfolio. Uh, How long have you been there? So it's coming up four and a half years, um,
1: and it it feels like it's gone in an absolute blur. Things certainly seem to move very quickly inside REA. And before that? Before that, spent a number of years in the pharmaceutical industry, both uh, here in Australia and had an opportunity to live and work overseas in Asia as well, which gave me great appreciation for the difference of applying marketing uh, into different cultural groups with the same product base.
2: Great. So, can you tell us just a little bit about REA? Um, how long has the business been around? How many people?
1: Yep. So REA now is, um, uh, you know, they say overnight success takes at least 10 to 20 years and REA fits into, into that, that uh, description. So it's 20-year-old business just over, um, did uh, literally start in somebody's garage, it was actually their basement, the founder, um, and steadily has the businesses grown um, quite prolifically in the last 10 years in particular. Um, we certainly have some strong investment in early days from the industry itself, from some of the real estate groups and then um, a significant investment came from the News Corp group um, and who are still a major shareholder today Um, and over that time, we've got a very strong domestic business and most well-known for the realestate.com.au brand. Um, but as you were touching on before, there's a number of other brands we've got domestically. But then uh, also we've expanded into Southeast Asia and where we own the iProperty Group, uh, and that operates across five markets in Southeast Asia. And then we also have um, some interests in an operation in uh, both the
2: US and India as well. So slowly building a multinational business there. Zach, I'm particularly interested in marketing in a a pure sense, marketing as the voice of the customer, marketing as customer centricity. Could you perhaps talk to us a little about what you do at REA to understand your customer, any particular insights that that understanding has led to, and then how insight drives strategy at REA? Absolutely. Uh,
1: so, as I was touching on before, the the definition or the some of the functions that sit within the marketing team includes market research uh, and insights team, and so you know that's certainly an area we value significantly across the business, um, and very much see that as one of the primary ways in which we we seek to solicit. Insight and understanding into you know preferences for customers, what they like, what they don't like, etc. What's sort of driving them, what keeps them up at night, um, as well as the obvious channel as far as Salesforce. Salesforce, you know, excellent, probably more around product, etc. And, and understanding sort of the the day to day needs of a customer base, but yeah. trying to get into some of those beliefs that sometimes sit behind the behaviours, which is really what we certainly in the marketing team want to understand because that's yeah. ultimately uh, obviously where we want to talk to. Um, So the market research, and we'll do that everything through, you know, sort of regular um, online, always on surveys, through to focus groups, through to co-creation workshops. So where we've deep dived into a particular um, area or need, and we'll often use the term, you know, jobs to be done, if you like. And so understanding for that customer or potentially for the consumer, what are sort of some of the jobs that need to be done within you know, um, what they're doing. So, for customers, it's, you know, it's winning listings or moving listings, yep. if you like, you know, property, win or uh, win the listing from a vendor and, and then sell it, move it on or lease it. And then for consumer, it's what that journey is. Are you know, they're looking to buy, they're looking to lease it out, et cetera, find an agent. So, for us, it's, it's really sometimes where we've identified the need, the jobs to be done, we'll come up internally with, uh, you know, some possible product development ideas, but then really look for some of those co-creation activities to really sort of give it a bit of a test and and sort of see what's really resonating and what's not.
2: So by co-creation, you mean inviting customers in?
1: Absolutely. Yeah, Yeah, so we'll bring them in, we'll share with them some sort of high-level ideas, obviously read back to them what we've understood about a situation, um, share that with them, sort of talk to them about what the kind of, you know, objective or goal we're hoping to achieve with them. Um, Usually not... we. Yeah, you know, not necessarily start it with a blank page, but try and yep. bring a couple of ideas to the table to sort of get that moving along. Um, and you know, usually we'll put in sort of one ridiculously aspirational one, and yep. sort of one that's probably a bit more today. And seeing you know what sort of resonates, and, and try and
2: move them along that continuum. Yeah, and then um, can you perhaps share an example of you know some uh, uh, something that we might, as consumers familiar with real estate dot com we might see on the platform now that's come out of one of those.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So I think one of the things, um, maybe more so from a consumer perspective um, and, and thinking about those consumer needs is... Often once you've bought a property, um, there's obviously a whole journey going into the whole search, the refining, the selection, being successful either through private treaty or, or at an auction or something like that. So once they've got it, it's it's then often one of the needs that whether it's an investor or an owner occupier will have is is how is that asset going? Have I made a good decision? Yeah. And and sort of how is that going? And it's you know, typically property, whether it's commercial or, or clearly residential, it's you know, it's a very significant uh, transaction in most people's lives, so it's important to understand how, you know how well I've, you know, have I made a good one, um, how long should I stay in, when should I get out, and so we initially started to uh, develop what we call a page for every property, um, which was trying to create a single web page which was for every single residential property in Australia that we had some information on yeah wow and from that we were able to with consumer uh, input start being able to build out sort of a feature set on that page that started to add in relevant information which would talk to what are some of the the trends in the neighborhood in which your, your property was located, you know, what's the, the the sale trends, you know, what's the capital growth like, what's, you know, migration of population in there, you know, what are some of the amenities that are developing, etc. as well as then working with some other data partners to ultimately bring through what's the estimated selling price for your property at this particular time. So, working with consumers, um, being able to identify what were some of those key bits of information that were going to be most relevant and most important to them Uh, and in turn what we were able to do was create um, a service where that consumer could actually claim that property if you like so it was a bit of an exchange of information if you like we are able to give them more in depth understanding of the area and the property Uh, in exchange they were sort of identifying themselves and that that was their property so we could then in future also send more personalised communications to them that was relevant to that property as well
2: yeah fascinating and And you're in an industry with a a tech or web interface with consumers, you're in an industry where you can respond reasonably fast to those kinds of initiatives, Um, perhaps not like the car manufacturing industry or the pharmaceutical industry where you might get a customer insight and need to go to production five years later to deliver it or something, and farmer even longer, maybe a little less in fashion, for example, but you're in a business that you can respond well, how how quickly can you respond? I mean, if you've got from an idea like that through to having it live on the on the web platform, what sort of turnaround are we talking?
1: Uh, look, great question. You're right. I had you know previous experience in pharmaceuticals, so you know often getting across products that were 20 years away. You know? So, <laughs> yeah. um, you know, certainly the ability now to literally move to a, a minimum viable product, an MVP, within potentially you know months or weeks yeah. um, is a reality uh, in this business. It really, though, sometimes depends on the customer set or the consumer set you're dealing with uh, and which brand. So, there's also a bit of an expectation when it comes to product and what you put live out there. So, for example, on the realestate.com.au brand, you know, that's a huge audience we deal with. Um, So, A, the scale um, and those products, if you like, or or new functionality, it needs to be really robust. So, therefore, you're probably going to put, there's a bit more time often spent in bringing that up to production level and being able to, you know, push it out to consumers. Um, Whereas I'm also involved in something like um, Spacely, which is sort of a newer site we've had in beta, and therefore... You know, through the the consumer size of the audience that we're dealing with, and probably where the expectations are of a site in beta, yep. you can sort of probably put things up a lot quicker. But also with the view that you could sort of bring them down. So I think it's yes, we can deliver things literally in weeks. But I think it's also matching what that user expectation is going to look like around the service.
2: Let's talk a, a little about the ideation process again and the and the insight you talked about. You talked about your internal research teams. Um, you also mentioned the sales force as an important source of customer voice. Can you tell us a little bit about um, is that an informal process or is that a formal process and, and how the marketing team and the sales team work together to generate that insight?
1: Yeah, a great question. Um, certainly, talking to the sales force, um, I think, like most. Corporates these days, most larger organisations, you know, it's open plan. Um, And so, whilst Salesforce naturally spend a lot of their time on the road with the customers, um, there's also times where they're clearly in the office and we. You know certainly it's it's always designed that whilst it's open plan seating and broadly you can move around, we do try and still sit like as a tribe, if you like. Yeah. and certainly um seating is kind of reserved or allocated to um, both sales and marketing and and we try to have both those teams actually co-located on adjoining desks. So as yeah. we do actually get that, sort of cross-conversation and cross-pollination and you do get certainly a lot of overhearing a conversation and, and you chime in so I guess yeah. it's that's culturally one of the things you need to get used to uh, in open plan but certainly an REA is just having somebody just parachute into your conversation whether they got asked or not but usually it's because they've heard something where they think they can add some more value or expand the conversation so a lot of it will happen day to day you know um, through through those kind of ad hoc conversations um, but we also structure what we call a sales advisory board so we've got some clear membership um, from around the country across different segments of the customers that the sales team looks after so we try and get that good representation uh, and bring a very sort of clear agenda in where um, you know we're meeting with them regularly whether it's face-to-face or video conference etc we've you know got predefined topics etc whether it's on product whether it's you know um, segments for them to be bringing up concerns, needs, etc., and feedback, uh, but also a lot of the time keeping them up to date with what are we working on, what are we developing and getting their input to make sure All we're heading. a real
2: two-way dialogue, not just a passive but a, but a sharing of information and ideas again.
1: Absolutely, and, and probably the value there we see is, you know, they've got that real time and so certainly they can then go out uh, and, you know, test concepts, test some ideas and, and certainly get some anecdotal feedback for us very quickly um, and so depending on where you are on in, in the iteration of, of that product or product, process you know that's really valuable um we'll probably do more sort of formal research and typically with with agency partners up the front so we've kind of got that deep qual and quant up front and then as we've you know sort of started to head down a path whether that was with co-creation with customers or not the sales force probably really becomes more involved and more important in that iteration by getting that sort of quick feedback
2: great wow um can, can i'd love to keep talking about the um strategy as a consequence of of customer centricity and insight, can you um, are there other examples that stand out for you where you've taken a taken something that you've learnt from your customer centric approach and then how that's manifest through out, out to product into business strategy and
1: yeah absolutely uh, so I think one of them which m- maybe it was a, it was a great lesson for us internally and and you'd argue is well, how do you call yourself customer centric if you were doing it first, but I think with communications. I know when we were first doing them, uh, we anticipated that what was important, the reasons customers came to us and bought our services was because we had the size of the audience, we had the market there. So, you know, it was certainly our perception and belief that um, we needed to keep them up to date, where was that audience at, keep sort of um, reinforcing that belief and that value statement. Um, It was only when we actually stopped to sort of check and, and actually survey them and actually get open for feedback and sort of say, well, actually, what is it that really you know, matters to you, et cetera? Um, and surprisingly enough, uh, the audience piece and what was important to us to communicate and beat our chess about, funnily enough, wasn't the most important thing in their day. Uh, and funnily enough, they actually wanted to hear about themselves. So for us, it was very yeah. much... Absolutely, pivoting what that communication content looked like. It was, um, you know, as much as possible trying to get down to that individual set of insights. And I think what we found, particularly with you know commercial agents who I've had a lot more to do with, um, you know, providing them national trends, etc. You know, it was nice to have, but tell me what's happening at a state level, tell me what's happening at the state I'm in. More importantly, tell me what's going on in the asset class I'm in because certainly you'll see specialisation within commercial property, you know, they're either in office or they're in industrial or retail for example, so I couldn't care less what's happening in Melbourne CBD because there's no warehouses there, you know that, that's that's not my thing. So very much we, we quickly started trying to turn those communications that um, really started to deliver content that was geographically specific, asset Driven, um, and then on a quarterly basis, actually providing them like a scorecard. You know, how's your individual business progressing? You know, h- how many listings, how many thing, uh, how many properties did you move into, sold or leased in the last month? You know, in the last quarter, um, and giving them that sort of personal scorecard. But then, importantly, you know, other feedback that we got from them was. How do I compare? So, you know, they're salespeople as well. um, A lot of our customers. So, not surprisingly, you know, tell me how I'm competing. Am I near the top?
2: Am I in the middle? And if I'm at the bottom, don't tell me. You also talked about um, understanding customer lifecycle and journeys. Can you share some um, outcomes of that of that insight? Some, uh, you know, perhaps some product you've developed that that reflects that sort of view of the customer over the journey, as opposed to just a point in time.
1: Certainly. Uh, so I think it's sort of one of the clear examples was looking at um, profiles, if you like, a, an individual agent's profile. Um, as well as looking at some of um, the extension advertising products that we've got. And I guess going back where it started was looking at the segmentation. So for commercial agents, um, we were sort of able to segment them. Um, a, bit of, a bit of it related to kind of the size of the organisation. So you've got typically the, the large international brands and, and sort of the corporate players, if you like. Um, yeah, then you've got sort of state-specific or well-known brands that have been around for quite a while, but they'll often be very geographically specific. Um, You've got people who are very much focused into lease, whereas a lot of the other agencies will do lease and sale, for example. Um, And then another large part of our customer base are actually people who are in a residential agency, um, but as part of that that rent role they've got, so those properties where they've got a property management side to the residential agency, um, they'll have a number of landlords that also have commercial properties. So you've sort of, for them to provide a full service, they'll have one or two people perhaps in their branch as well that that will cater for commercial property. So we sort of, you know, it's, it's not their core focus, but it is a need they've got and a, and a relationship we need to have with them. Um, so if we look at those, I guess the beauty of digital is you can all, everybody potentially can roar like a lion. Um, so it's about, you know, how do you maximise your presence online to quite potentially look, you know, bigger than you are? Um, and if you do that wisely, it can be a bit of a leveller as far as the small guy, if he, you know getting the right stock and presenting it the right way, can look just as professional quite potentially um, as as a much larger organisation. Obviously, the number of properties that they're is representing at any given time will will often vary between a large organisation and another. But when you start getting down to that sort of suburb level or asset level, um, they can have that sort of uh, if you like equal presence on site. So it's very much developing products and price points um, that bring a bit of uh, if you like uh, a level playing field, uh, and encourage you know smaller customers um, to be able to play in in the same park,
2: your 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 business f- feels from an outsider to have a fairly dominant position. No, one might imagine that pretty much everyone thinking about selling a property or purchasing a property would be aware of your product and probably uses it.
1: Certainly from the realestate.com.au brand, I think that's the one where we put the most amount of, if you like, above the line investment, so TV, radio, et cetera, uh, and certainly from a um, an annual cycle perspective obviously spring is is naturally a, a big time in real estate in the residential space at least for activity and market so certainly ourselves and our competitors are always active at that time um, so I think you know we, we certainly spend uh, invest heavily around making sure that that brand is well known and well understood but it's also trying to pick up those what are those individual value points that exist because we're catering to an audience now a consumer set that are in many different, uh, or, or at many different points in their life journey. And by that, I mean, we're now, you know, providing solutions for consumers who are moving into their first share house, um, potentially their first rental, you know, as far as then shared rental with maybe a, a partner or a good friend or something like that, um, through to their first purchase, maybe their investors into multiple purchases. Some of those investors will also be looking at commercial property, who obviously uh, I am I'm more uh, deal with more frequently, um, then we've got small businesses who are starting um, looking for that first opportunity. How do I move away from the kitchen desk at home? You know, it's it's cramped. I'm trying to start a business and run it, but, you know, it doesn't work when the kids get home from school. So we've got Spacely dealing with that. Um, so, you know, certainly... We're now trying to provide solutions for many more of those kind of life moments, if you like, uh, and certainly building that awareness and investing in the brands are a big part of that and certainly, from an audience perspective, it does suggest that you know most Australians are quite familiar with us and do come to find those solutions
2: yeah. So, you've mentioned Spacely. Tell, tell us about the Spacely journey.
1: So, look, Spacely's been um, a fantastic opportunity that personally I and a number of other people have, have had the chance to be involved with. In in that, you know, we are sitting within, admittedly, a youngish organization compared to other industries I've been in, but, you know, a 20 year old business. It is pretty well known, realestate.com.au. Um, but here was an opportunity to literally kind of do a bit of a, um, a bootstrap sort of startup. Within, admittedly um, the safe confines of a a very successful tech company so you know by no means am I trying to suggest uh, that we're doing it tough like your usual little you know tech startup with one or two people but some of that journey is going to be quite similar and some of that sort of excitement and fear of going into a brand new space you pick up on a bit of a trend you can see that there's a an unmet need in the market and that's very much where we've seen um, a growing trend a number of years ago. We could sort of see it building um, around more recent generations taking a different attitude perhaps to work. Um, and certainly, you know, a job for life is is probably well and truly extinct now, um, and certainly it's been changing over the decades, but certainly more recent, I think, entrance into the workforce have got a, a much more open entrepreneurial idea about how they want to work and what they want to do and whether that's they're committed to doing something them, for themselves straight up and starting something. For others, it'll be, I'll work a few days at this organisation, so I've got a regular paycheck, but I'm, I'm only going to work you know three days because the other two or and my weekends, I'm dedicated to building my own business. And so, we've seen a lot more of that. Um, and so, with that sort of proliferation of startup, if you like, or entrepreneurial businesses, they're needing. Um, spaces that they can access that are a little more cost effective you know that barrier to entry typically for commercial property has been a minimum of a two-year five-year lease and and that just doesn't work with a, a bootstrapped organization and so we've really seen this sort of evolution from what was considered sub-leasing uh you know more formally in the past where a large tenant might have had some excess space and they'd have a very sort of formalized and still a relatively long agreement with another tenant to sort of Take on that extra space. Now we're seeing a much more dynamic model. So even some of the the largest property uh, groups in Australia, who own you know many of the large uh, buildings, the trusts, etc., are actually dedicating parts of their buildings to this being a real short-term rental. So a whole floor is dedicated to short-term or share space, um, and so that's starting to cater for this emerging group of sort of entrepreneurial-oriented uh, people moving into business
2: how do you make a decision having identified a a market opportunity such as that? Can you share a little with us about how the organization makes a decision whether that is that a line extension of an existing product and brand, or is it a product and brand in its own right? It sounds with Spacely that you've made the latter and, and it has its own brand identity and and its own product. Um, Was that, was that, obvious? Was there a process that you went through to make that decision?
1: Yeah, look, it's a great question. Absolutely. Um, We actually grappled with that for for quite a while. As I said, Spacely technically sits within the commercial line of business. Um, But as it stands today, it it very much has its own identity. And um, certainly, REA group being really I guess the employer and shareholder brand um, which then is a house of brands um, including realestate.com Spacely is its own standalone brand, realcommercial.com.au is a standalone brand and then the iProperty Group uh, or RE, REA Group Asia now um, in in Southeast Asia is very much its own group as well. So that house of brands, and so we did actually spend quite a bit of time sort of deliberating, saying what's the overlap of consumer and customer base look like, and I think that's really what helped us frame that decision in the end. So I guess there were two parts to the decision. One was actually verifying, yes, there's a a bona fide need in market. Um, There is a business case here. Um, There were certain opportunities as far as it was a space that wasn't clearly occupied by anybody. So there's an attractive opportunity for us to go and look at that. It is a bit of a natural extension of the business we're in and and some of those customers potentially but ultimately we could see that the consumers who had a need that wasn't being met at the moment um, around short-term and shared space and even some of those people who the space owners who offer that space weren't necessarily represented in our commercial business today so that really helped support uh, and make it clear in the end that this was a standalone brand it's got its its own personality and and certainly tonally Yes, it'll, it'll have some similarity, obviously, to sit naturally within um, the umbrella group of brands and, and sort of culturally reflect us as an organisation, but certainly reflecting back the consumer and, and the customer set that we work with, it, it's definitely its own brand, its its
2: own tone and its own personality. You mentioned a bootstrapped start-up within a albeit well-resourced environment, does that mean getting resource was really easy for Spacely, or do you still have battles are you are you Are you fighting for resource and tell us about that journey?
1: yeah look absolutely so I mean I guess the great thing is we didn 't have to go on some great uh, sort of uh, road journey um, going to numerous people trying to pitch and get investors if you like we 've got one investor we could pitch to internally which which is makes it a lot easier you know they're well known we know who they are the CEO CFO etc and, and ultimately the board having said that you've only got one investor to go to so you know if you don't get it up that, that could be a bit problematic so we didn't have too many other external options but having said that um, they were fully fully behind it. Um, so it was great. So we've got investment. You know, we, we got uh, investment around a team to build up. But having said that, you're also sitting within an organisation that's got a number of other brands, another a number of other objectives, et cetera. Um, and so we were effectively then competing um, within our own wonderful uh, benefactor, if you like. Um, and so it's all about, I guess, the bootstrap bit is what can you beg, borrow, steal to get done. So certainly our resourcing levels are you know, um, relevant and scaled appropriate to the size of the opportunity at the moment. So, you know, um, I guess they're sort of some of those elements of bootstrapping. So from a marketing perspective, um, you know, in my marketing team for commercial, I've got a number of specialists across, you know, various um, activities, whereas for Spacely, we've got one person who's got to do it all, you know, we sort of originally had one or two salespeople that had to, you know, win customers, maintain customers, load their listings, so that kind of experience of getting your hands dirty and actually really understanding what's going on and being having a huge opportunity to influence how that brand and how that business model uh, evolves, um, that, that intimacy is, is really exciting and really special, um, to sit within, admittedly, the safety of a really large, exciting business with lots of talent you can go and talk to and get great ideas, um, but at the same token, you also have to fight tooth and nail to make sure you get uh, as much as you can unfairly get.
2: Six questions in 60 seconds. So, your favourite brand? Vinamofo, And
1: Why? Look, I think that brand, it's a lot of fun. Um, you know, it's an Aussie start-up. They're, they're going, they've gone to Singapore, they've gone to a couple of other markets. Um, I, I think just the fun they have, the way they communicate, and at the end of the day, you know, I love wine, so it it's a great product. It resonates well with me.
2: What about someone who's getting it wrong, a, a brand or a product that just doesn't work for you? I don't
1: know. I guess immediately coming to mind is the Royal Commission, so you could pretty much pick anyone out of that. Probably who's it? A and think probably the worst at the moment. Uh, has there been
2: a mentor? Is there someone who stands out?
1: Uh, look, I've had a couple of mentors over time and I guess in the past that was there were sales mentors and, and one in particular, I, I think it's probably not an uncommon story, that person who gives you the first break into a leadership role and that was into a sales leadership role and then not only did he give you the break but they helped sort of mentor you through those first couple of years where yeah, you, you make a lot of bad decisions. So um, certainly uh, Alan from, from back in Optus days uh, was a very important mentor to me then uh, and then um, at my previous organisation, certainly, uh, again, a boss there who was my boss at one stage, but then very much he sought to keep that contact and sort of help. And often that mentoring was then about navigating a much bigger global organisation and thinking about how I wanted to develop my career and, and you know, who I needed to be working with and being making sure I was known to.
2: One thing that absolutely every marketer must have or possess, or believe. Oh, they must possess. Oh,
1: some sort of social media account, they've got to be, I think, aware of what's going on out there. Sum everything up in five words. Everything in moderation.
0: Thanks again, go to Isaac for giving up his time to appear on Marcast. In episode two, we continue the discussion, digging deeper into REA's approach to competitors, how Isaac's team uses technology to boost its marketing, and skills, recruitment, and advice for young marketers. Thanks to sound engineer Brendan and ABC Studios. I'm Marketing Magazine editor Ben Ice. Stay up to date in the meantime at marketingmag.com.au. The Dream Issue print edition of Marketing Magazine is available now. Marcast is made possible by Hayes Marketing and Digital the recruiting experts in marketing and digital roles across Australia, for a wide range of industries and job functions. For the latest insights on what it takes to be a marketing director, download the Hayes Report DNA of a Marketing Director at hayes.com.au.